All right. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, tonight we're going to look at First Chronicles, um, but let's open up with prayer. Father God, Lord, we pray right now for... Um, I pray right now for William Whitehead, Lord, that you would be with him, that these, uh, these headaches and the blood pressure issues, Lord, that you would take care of it. Lord, we pray for anyone else in the church that might be ill. Um, Lord, we pray that your healing hand would be on them. Lord, I do pray uh, for us as we step off into the book of First Chronicles that uh, you would guide the conversation. Lord, that we would... Um, that we would see the lesson that the chronicler is trying to teach us. And Lord, we would learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you think back to uh, back when we were going through uh, the covenants. So we have the Adamic covenant, uh, which was go forth and, and multiply. We have the Noetic covenant, which was kind of a restatement of that with some caveats. And then you have the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, which was, um, through you I will bless the entire world. And then we have the Mosaic Covenant. And when we talked about that, we said that the, the Mosaic Covenant is different than the, the other covenants in that it's not a covenant between Moses and God. It, this covenant is between God and his people. And Moses was just standing, he was that vicarious person standing in between. And if you look at the, the Mosaic Covenant, it says that if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all those blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of your Lord. But if you will not obey, this is uh, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your, be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. So, the Mosaic Covenant was, I'm giving you the law. If you obey the law, I will bless you. If you disobey the law, I will curse you. And so for several hundred years, the children of Israel lived under that Mosaic Covenant. Then in the life of David, God promised David, through you I will establish a kingship that will last forever. Now, just a few hundred years later, so David's reign begins in 1010 B.C. And then in 586 B.C., about 500 years later, Jerusalem is taken. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed. David's palace is destroyed. And the temple is destroyed. Children of Israel are taken off to Babylon in exile. Seventy years after that, um, Cyrus allows them to return. Think to where they are. The 
theological conundrum that must be percolating in their head. God promised with David's covenant that David's throne would never cease, that there would be a king on the throne, and that that kingdom would be eternal. And then they're looking at the rubble all around them. The city is decimated, destroyed. Nothing is left standing. How do they deal with this? How did the children of Israel understand theologically what's going on? From that environment, that question, that theological question of, is God going to fulfill his covenant promise to, to Abraham, to, to Moses, to David somehow? The books of First and Second Chronicles come out of that question. Now, let's just walk through uh, who the author is. Nowhere in the text does it identify who the author is. Traditionally, um, it's been thought that First and Second Chronicles were written down by Ezra. Regardless, it, the author is often referred to as the chronicler. We, we don't know. They're nowhere in the text does it say that Ezra wrote it. it. We don't know, and ultimately it doesn't really matter. We have a lot of the same stories in First and Second Chronicles that we read in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, but they're given to us in a different light, from a different angle, in an effort to answer the question: Is God going to do what He said He would do? Is God faithful? The author is clearly comes from a priestly background because there's an attempt within the text to to show us things rather than just from the angle of here's what the king did and then this happened and then this happened, but from some of the priestly duties. What were some of the, the ways that that was going on? And so uh, we, we see that. It was written during the Persian period, or anywhere from 539 B.C. to 332 B.C. Uh, he clearly had access to the temple records and he had scribal training. It's it, He's a chronicler. He does a great job of showing us that. The chronology kind of breaks down the first uh, nine chapters of First Chronicles, which I bet you've never heard a sermon preached from, are just genealogies of each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It takes from Second Chronicles 10, uh, after the, that it, it walks through the foundation of David's uh, monarchy. Then from 2 Chronicles 10 all the way through the end of it, it walks through the history of Judah from the division when uh, the ten tribes and Judah and Benjamin separated. And then the end, uh, chapters from 2 Chronicles 36, uh, it talks about the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity and then ends with Cyrus's decree. The central theme of the Chronicles is God's covenant with David is the basis of Israel's life and hope. The Davidic covenant is expressed in two institutions, the monarchy and the temple. So we will see how the chronicler is showing the answer to that theological question that we said that we're grappling with. Judah and Benjamin, the only surviving tribes of Israel, had returned to the land after Babylonian exile. They had rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, but in many ways it seemed uh, like a sad replacement. There are questions about God's 
Israel and God's purpose and the meaning of his ancient promises to David. So the key themes are the Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David, preserving the nation and enabling Solomon to build the temple. The temple is a huge central aspect of First and Second Chronicles, uh, the, the temple being the expression of the Davidic covenant and the way that God interacted directly with his people. One of the other themes of the, the book is uh, the people of Israel and, the, and answering that urgent question of the day concerning who are we? How do we fit in God's purpose? Where does all this fall apart? So let's just uh, go ahead and get, get started in the book. So like I said, the first nine chapters walk us through from Adam to Abraham from Abraham to Jacob, and then the genealogy leading up to David. Then going through each one of the descendants of Judah, the children of Israel, uh, goes through each one of those tribes and shows how from um, Judah, from Simeon, from Reuben, from Gad, there are people that are still alive as the chronicler is writing. Why is that important? That is important because the children of Israel needed to recognize that God said through Abraham to Abraham, from your seed I will bless the earth. That they could then could look back and say, okay, my grandfathers, fathers, 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 father was Gad whose father was Jacob, whose father was Isaac, whose father was Abraham. By doing that, by giving that genealogy, they could identify that God was still at work doing what he said he would do. He had preserved those lines. And so for three or four chapters, we go through each of the tribes, Levi, the half-tribe of Manasseh, um, and it's literally just uh, son of Ethne, son of Zerah, son of Adai, son of Ethan, son of Zimmah. It goes all the way through, and then in chapter 8, we look at the genealogy of Saul, and in chapter 9, the chronicler ties all of those genealogies to people who were alive when he wrote, again to show that God was still being faithful to his people. Saul's genealogy is repeated, and then we go through uh, a brief history of Saul, and then pick up in chapter 11 uh, with David. And all Israel, in chapter 11, verse 1, gathered together to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and who brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And so this is really the pivot point of the book of First Chronicles. It shows that all 12 tribes bowed a knee to the kingship of David. 
it goes through, the book goes through David's life from uh, a lot of the same stories that we read in 1 Samuel, uh, Uzzah's uh, touching of the ark, the, the, um, the Philistines being defeated, and uh, I want to briefly touch on that about um, Uzzah. This is a story, again, that we saw in 1 Samuel, um, where after the, the Philistines had captured the ark, remember we talked about how God would not allow himself to be used as a good luck charm. The Philistines returned the ark on a cart, and so the children of Israel, looking at that, in bringing the ark from um, where the Philistines had delivered it to, to back to Jerusalem, um, let me just read, and 1 Chronicles chapter 13, starting with verse 5. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebahathon uh, to bring the ark from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Balah, that is to Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up the ark up from there, the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Now, You'll remember, we talked about in Leviticus, the ark was, God specifically commanded that when the ark was built, it had loops put on all four corners. And that the way the ark was to be carried was a a rod was to be made and ran through those those, uh, rings. And then four priests would have the ark, one on each shoulder, and they would march with the ark being carried that way. The Philistines brought it in in a cart, so let's take it on a cart. Seems like a good idea, work for them, would work for us. So they disregarded the way God told them to do it and did it in the most expedient, simplistic, modern, if you will, way. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand, taking hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So David first was angry. He's like, I'm trying to do something here, God. Why are you getting all up in my plans? David is thinking that he's serving God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind. David is, his heart's in the right spot. He's ready to to move the ark so that God can be worshipped. And so David, his first reaction was anger. God, what are you doing? I'm trying to worship you here. I can see that entirely. David's mistake was, was that rather than following God's teaching, he had gone about doing God's work, using man's way, and when it failed, as it always will, he expected God to judge him by intention, not by action. And then, 
once he had had some time to kind of percolate on that and realized his mistake, then he moved from anger to fear. We can learn a lot from that story. God has given us very specific directions and how to do a lot of things. Some, some areas are gray areas. I'll admit that. But the church, we're specifically told what we're to be about doing, going to all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've taught you. We're told how to do it. When Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, this is my church, and upon this rock I will build my church. So we see who the owner is. It's Jesus' church. We see um, who's the one that's going to be doing the building. It's Jesus. We know how we're to, to allow the church to grow. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. But it's easy to look around us and say, well, yeah, I get that. But people want something that's more relevant to their lives than just Jesus. They, they, people want to be entertained. People want to be comfortable. That People want don't want to every time they come to church to hear bad news. And so, with well-intentioned motives, we start tinkering with the methodology that God laid out in how to do His church. And I warn you, we do that at our own peril. Because just as Uzzah learned, God is holy. God is God. And so he gets to command and demand how we approach him. R.C. Sproul said, Uzzah's great mistake was assuming as this ox stumbled, he wanted to protect the ark from falling in the mud. If I'd been walking along behind the ark, I would have probably done the same thing. It's just a reflex. It's a reaction. Uzzah assumed that the mud was less holy than his filthy human hand. We need to recognize that we bring nothing to the table. That God in his grace has given us every good and perfect gift. So we can't bring anything to offer God to say, look at what I've done. And remember that in His holiness, what we deserve is His wrath. And what God has called on us to do, to have a relationship with Him, to be able to worship Him, is to come to Him through a son. Hebrews 1.1, in former days and past times, God spoke through a prophet But in these latter days, he's spoken to us through a son. So that's the lesson that we can learn from Uzzah and the ark. As we continue to go through 1 Chronicles, we see detailed descriptions of worship. Of how the children of Israel are to worship. What place of worship that they're supposed to be. David's work on the temp, or David's preparation and Solomon's work on the temple, David building the altar after after winning victories, um, David's preparation for the building of the temple, 
David's organization of the priest. And so unlike 1 Samuel, what we see in 1 Chronicles is this tie-in to the life and reign of David with David leading the children of Israel to worship. I would argue that 1 and 2 Chronicles teach us what is emphasized in the New Testament as well. And that is that God desires the praise and worship of his people. And that when we get caught up in the do's and don'ts, we miss the point. When we get caught up in the worship of a God who has broken into human history, and we recognize him for who he is, then a lot of our want-tos and our actions fall in line with being the people that God has called us to be. The Bible puts it this way. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When we make it about me or you and what we do and don't do, then it's easy for us to shift ever so slightly, and the focus to be on me. Which gives me an attitude that says, hey God, look at all the good stuff that I'm doing. Whereas if the emphasis and the focus of our spiritual life is in loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and recognizing that we serve a holy God who owes us nothing, and that we praise Him, honor Him, and worship Him because of the grace that He has shown to us, then our life becomes one of gratitude, not one of obligation. Our life becomes one where instead of asking the question, what can I do and what can't I do, then our life becomes a question of, what am I doing that glorifies God the most? This action or this action? And that's a different mindset. And so 1 Chronicles emphasizes the idea of worship. So with that, uh, we'll close. Next week we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles, which walks through uh, Solomon and Solomon's building of the temple, Solomon's worship. Um, And uh, we will pick back up on that next week. So let's close in prayer. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would have us and give us the strength to live life, a life of worship. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go serve your king.